0: Hey everybody, this is Gray from American Citizens. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code CITIZENS16, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N-S-16, at checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need, U.S. listeners only. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of American Citizens. I'm Gray, I'm with Josh, and we're here to discuss the Stoke Game, Josh, aren't we?
1: you see among other things
0: among other things which we will get to but that's on that's the first thing on the agenda today and um it i think that we'll just jump right into it city one two of the goals came the last uh, 10 minutes of play um but you could say i suppose that the scoreline was a bit more lopsided than the game actually was. But at the same time, it never really seemed like City were in any danger of losing that, which is what struck me because, you know, I thought they fully deserved to win, and I thought that, you know, whatever the case, Stoke is not an easy place to play, and we've discussed that, and the old adage is that it's not, and... Not only the fact that it was a sort of wet, windy day, but it was pretty, you know, there were stretches. You can still tell where it's a work in progress, but it was very much, I thought it was fairly controlled. Yes, they had their chances, but they weren't really great chances. They didn't get at Caballero a whole lot. And um, so let's just start there. What did you think? What did, how, how are we coming along? Um whew. well where do
1: you start with that? Um I would even say that I thought the uh the score line was fair. Um uh, even if those goals came in the final two minutes there were uh and we'll get to this in a second, I suppose, but, but there were so many moments where either De Bruyne or and i you know i love novice but at this point like we have to just settle on the fact that the guy who was brought in to be a a crosser can't seem to do it um so but that said i think that he was out there for a different reason to today i think that
0: I thought it was a defensive cover thing, to be honest. And,
1: and yeah, and, and to be honest, you could actually see uh, several times it was pretty flippin' flip clear what he was out there to do, and he did it, I think, very well. Um, and I've said this about novice. You know, tactically, he he doesn't get enough credit um, for the little things that he does. Um, and, and, and he probably gets his salutations from you know managers but i in in a weird sense i'm starting to understand what manuel pellegrini's crush on navas was
0: um you know <laughs> Is it the fact that he never really bothered with, bothered with the defensive setup and Navas was basically the only forward who would do it naturally?
1: <laughs> I, exactly, yeah, kind of. He, he was sort of built in and it's just like, wow, this guy can run that fast and he defends so I don't have to? Awesome. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I think it is. I think there were times getting back on point that, you know, the, the the forward attack for City looked like it was just a hair off or, you know, and one of the listeners' questions, which, you know, well, we'll I, I suppose we can just get to this right now.
0: Yeah, there's no use waiting, so if it's uh, tying in.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it ties in beautifully. Um One of our listeners had asked, and I want to give them credit for it, um it was B-Rob's FSU who had asked, just generally, I think, uh, thoughts on KDB so far. He seems lost in this system from the first three games. Um, and I I think some people may say three games, that's kind of a stretch. I mean, he played well in, in Bucharest. Well, yeah, but everyone did. Uh, and even then, he wasn't as on point as he should have been.
0: Uh, yeah, I would say that he was overshadowed by not only Aguero but Sterling and Silva yeah. as well in that game. Yeah.
1: And he's supposed to be sort of the, the creative eight or false eight or whatever the heck that the, the term is. I've it.
0: seen it called a free eight. Yeah. As well.
1: eight. I I don't I don't know. I
0: think you can basically go any route with that, but you get the general idea.
1: Yeah, and basically an eight that does whatever the heck he wants. Um but uh I think when you look at that today, there were certainly moments maybe, and it's probably, for me, highlighted in the timing of the passes that make Guardiola's system work. When you see De Bruyne miss as badly as he's been missing, especially today, it makes you wonder. And I think the casual fan may wonder even at a point, too, like, is is Kevin in trouble? And I would caution against, you know, going too much toward the ledge on this one. Uh, it's very clear that if tactically he didn't get it, he wouldn't be out there. You know, uh, this is a guy who gets it. He's a very smart footballer. Uh, but he may have to work a little bit harder. Um, he may have to adjust a couple of things. And to me, and I want to get your thoughts, Gray, it looks more like a timing issue for De Bruyne. He hasn't quite slotted in to his place in the clock, and so I, yeah, now he's mishitting. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's a, a few things. Um, I think timing. Yeah, it's just the best way I would describe it is it's just sort of all off a tick. Just not. It, He's not, like, playing a different game than everyone else. I've no, I don't get that sense watching him. I get the sense that he is on, you know, he's in with what is trying to do. He's on target with it. He understands it. He grasps it. But as far as putting the theory into practice, it's just off a tick. And I think that's something that will click eventually with more time in both training and matches to sort of bring bring it all full circle. And I think he's also and it's something that Pellegrini never really nailed either, trying to figure out how to properly share the creative burden with Silva. Um, it's then, you know, it's rare that they have ever looked completely comfortable together because they sort of fulfill the same general role. Um, and I it think is
1: in part why I said on the last podcast when we were going over some guys like Gundogan and such, and I'm like, I wouldn't look at Silva as a lock to stay in the lineup when he, when, you know, this thing comes back. Like, I think Gundogan gives Pep Guardiola a bit more flexibility and he also can attack, but right. But by removing him from that pivot role, you are taking out, let Fernandinho, whose body seems to be, More uh, tuned in to letting him uh, hang around and play that position. Um, Just let him go and do it. And and, and that's not to say that Gundawan can't be an absolute terror on defense. He can. But you free him of a lot of responsibility, and responsibility is where I think injuries happen. Guys injure themselves trying to get back into place because they they you know they charged out or whatever the case may be. That uh, a lot of injuries will occur in that just in that alone. You're not you weren't where you were supposed to be. Um, when that's not a guiding light for them, but uh, I, I think that by removing the, the burden of Gunduan having to play that extra added defensive role, it frees him up to sort of focus on other things, and if City run into a problem, especially once you get to Europe... Then all of a sudden, Gundawan can maybe shift into that idea of a double pivot. Where now you have two guys. And we should get, you know, getting back to Stoke, man. Uh, look, man, John Stones is starting to look like Gerard Piquet already. Like, I, I don't know. Like, oof. Like, it, it, what what you got on stones, man? Like, you have
0: to wonder what the uh, Everton fans are thinking right now after, you know. Yeah. it's It's fair to say, and this is, you know, I think it is perfectly fair and reasonable to say that he did have, he was a bit, you know, there were mistakes last season in particular playing for Everton. Obviously, he was playing under Roberto Martinez, who cares about defense about as much as, you know. I don't have an analogy, but he doesn't care. That's the point I was trying to get at. It's just not something he coaches well. And now you get him, you know, a, a, a guy in Guardiola who cares very much, despite, you know, how his teams play. Everything he does is built on the defensive side of the game. That is the backbone, that is the foundation of every everything that he does. And you put him back there in a system that suits him with a coach who can help him. And he looks composed. He looks very steady. He was fantastic. He was excellent. Everything he did. Um, and, and you know, I, I was watching the broadcast I watched was basically a reaction. At one point they said, he's still only 22. His best days are still ahead of him. And that's, you know, I don't think anyone could have thought he would bet in so easily after th- in, within three games. Yes, he knows the league, sure. That's, you know, nice. And yes, he has sort of been allowed to hone his ball playing abilities in the past. So it's not something that's completely new to him. But at the same time, he's been he's stepped into a system that quite frankly does demand a lot from players, tactically, physically, Mm -hmm. whatever. And he has and, and
1: self I would put yeah. that in there, too, because this is a system of players who are expected to be responsible and aware at all times on the pitch. Now, Guardiola will allow them the freedom to uh, maybe take on or do other things, as we saw with Stones in today's game, and Dude, that guy looked straight out like PK when he just bossed him off the ball and was like, yeah, no, I, I'm going to take that. Thank you. Um, that was a, that was just a, a clean tackle if I've ever seen one. And then just sheer force of keeping him away in order to secure the ball. Um, you know, uh, guys will, will be given that freedom to move forward. As long as they're matching their personal responsibilities and John stones is taking all of his personal responsibilities and then trying to take on a bit more of the stuff that Guardiola is hoping he can process at the same time and believes he can. I think there's a reason Guardiola like said, no, I don't care if he's 50 million, get the kid. Um, I think Guardiola thinks like, okay, this guy can already play how I want to play. That's not the problem. I just need to get him to assimilate the idea of maybe doing some more PK stuff in there. And then I can turn him into Philip Lom. Um, you know, that. I, everybody keeps thinking that Stones is going to play in the center of the defense. Like, why? Where is that written when, when Vinny Company comes back, like, where is it written in Stone that Stones is going to remain a center back? If Guardiola loves what he can do enough, he may move him into that center defensive mid role, that pivot role. I mean, you started to see some of this stuff today from Stones, and his range of passing is pretty much on point.
0: Yeah, I think, for, I think he will stay at center back. Um, because, you know, who else is he going to put back, back there? I would put in a word for Otamendi, who has been perfectly good. Topsin
1: Otamendi and yeah, and I, think,
0: I think that just for a contrast contrast's sake, you look at, you know, when you put Mangala and Otamendi out there last year, put them together, and this is probably a product of system as well, but you put them out there together last year without company, and they both basically look like headless chickens more often than not. That problem hasn't, you know, Stones has been very composed, and Ultimendi seems to be, you know, doing a better job of fulfilling his responsibilities without doing, you know, rash. It has happened. I'll I'll be clear, but he seems to have sort of, I guess, reined it in a bit, um. For for lack of a better term, I'm not, you know, I don't know that Pep loves him still, but I think he can work with it. And um, but ultimately, yeah, I think. Stones is the standout, no doubt in my mind. Um,
1: He's so good. Yeah. No matter what, no matter what they play him at, you know, no matter how they use him, this kid has. Yeah, I like you think he will stay at center back, but I gotta wonder when when Fernandinho retires or has to move on. Like I I gotta wonder if that string doesn't tug in the back of of Guardiola's head. Um, and there are a lot of people who made that Gerard Piquet comparison, you know, and, and it's not for no reason. So,
0: yeah, I think, I think he's definitely a player capable of sort of being a bit more versatile. Um, while we're on the subject of players who impress particularly new players, we were both kind of, I, you know, I guess the best word for it is dismissive after the Sunderland game of Nolito, because you know we said well he didn't look like he showed much and you brought up the point that Damocles on the City Watch podcast they have the, uh, the four four two podcast now which is really good I finally did listen to it, um, and it was basically the point being well he wasn't getting the service because Sylvan De Bruyne weren't doing their jobs, and once again he scored in midweek and he came off the bench for twenty twenty five minute cameo, scored twice, and I would say about Nolito is that. And it's a very simple thing, but it's a thing that, you know, a lot of guys just don't instinctively or naturally do. He just gets in the right positions. He gets in the right positions and lets people set him up and he scores goals. And that is a very simple thing on the surface. But at the same time, sometimes, everyone everyone else really isn't doing it sometimes.
1: Sometimes he just, like, comes out of nowhere, too, you know? Like, it's just like, he's like John Turturro in... And Mr. Deeds. You know, yes. like Mr. Sneaky Sneaky. Like, where did Nalilo even come from?
0: And I would put in a word Ianacho was fantastic today in his little cameo. He, he was involved in everything. Um, and I would put in a word because also when we look back to the Sunderland game, they had the chance to finish that game off. And Ianacho got a bit selfish and went for it himself when he could have just slid it off to, I believe it was Delph, and probably very easily had a third goal. You have to wonder if Pep had a word with them about that, because twice today, um, I believe it was Nacho and it was Sterling, who both, you know, had decent sights at goal, but they had Nolito to their left both times. They saw him, they picked him out, and they set up the easy finish, and that's how the scoreline went from tight to not tight at all. So I was really, really encouraged to see that unselfishness and that the, and Nolito just all over the place, you know, just popping up where he needs to pop up to to, to score goals.
1: Yeah, um, I'm curious, man. Uh, no, we're going to get too far ahead of ourselves. I just want to stay focused on this on this uh, Stoke game for one more minute. And I just want to ask, um, you know, obviously we know who – some of the better performers were in the game. You have two guys in there that had a brace. Um, and and we talked a bit about stones just in the overall sense, re- driven by some of the things we saw in this game. Um, who are some of your under-the-radar performers uh, from today?
0: In a good sense, or in I wish I would have seen more of them since?
1: Uh, either.
0: Okay. Um, I thought the fullbacks, it, the, the game demanded a bit of a different game plan, I thought. And so the fullbacks weren't quite, Kolorov and Zabaleta weren't quite as able. And they sort of had to drop into a strict back four a bit more than, um, than they did in midweek or even against Sunderland. So, you know, I thought it was a bit quiet. And you can see the passing, they're, they're such important roles and that the passing is still a work in progress, basically, because they're still getting used to sort of those advanced midfield positions. Um, and so it did stutter a bit at times, um, which is to be expected. I'm not too worried about it. Um, you talked about Navas. You know, I thought this is probably, and this is going to sound worse than I mean it to be, but I think it was probably the quietest game for Nandino has had. That's not to say he wasn't great. He's it's just sort of a quiet excellence in that role um, where he just sort of, you know, asserts himself and does the job and there's absolutely nothing to complain about. Um, and that's, you know, it would be silly to go with without a word for him because he I, was himself. I know,
1: I know that um, I'm not even going to dispute <clears throat> the, the first penalty uh, with... Uh, Otamendi that was that was a it was a penalty, penalty. Yeah, that was, was a, penalty. a penalty and I want to be clear about this what happened to Joe Allen was a penalty that Absolutely was a penalty, just yeah. a foolish 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 uh, tackle there by Kolarov. really pointless to be honest uh, he's lucky to have gotten away with it but then again not so lucky because I saw a tweet out there from somebody that said, you know, uh, he be, be, had been instructed from someone up above that he owed uh, uh, <clears throat> owed Stoke a, a penalty, and then the penalty plays itself out with Shawcross and Raheem. Like, look, dude, I, that... Felt to me like a penalty on principle because there was. I, look, I mean, Raheem does get in his way and is setting a screen, but I mean, it's what what
0: really did Raheem do so much? I, I mean, I think basically the problem was that he didn't make much of an effort at all to play the ball. And I, I mean, think that's I think that's what killed him, honestly.
1: I, you know, I've no issue with it. I, I just think everybody it, and most people that I saw were like that one was extremely soft, and and you got the sense that it was every bit of a makeup call. Now I'm okay with that.
0: And see, it, here's the the thing is, I that... think it would have been
1: better used on something a little less. I don't know, Charlie Brown getting beat up by the bully. You know, it just.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think the criticism is fair. At the same time, there is a directive that's going out um, that's basically (laughs) stop yanking people around in the box on set pieces.
1: This was just tweeted by Squawka about Nolito. His game by the numbers, 21 minutes played, two shots, two goals.
0: That's what he does, apparently. Um, But there has been a directive that basically stop yanking people around on set pieces. Um, I guess the question I would ask, would it have been a foul anywhere else on the pitch? No. Okay. See, that's, I think, I have long called for, and they were still getting away with it. It, Games are going to still be refed differently in in, uh, different games, but... um, I
1: think Mark Hughes had a point at the end of the game.
0: Yeah, um, I think consistency is, you know, I could go either way on the second penalty. I can see he didn't play the ball, so I can see why they went and called it, as well as the fact that they they missed the Stonewall penalty um, earlier, that's toward the end of the first half. At the same time, if you're going to uh, cut down on the penalty, it box, you know, tugging and yanking on corners and the like, which I'm all in favor of, mind you, um... But I was I watched Leicester and Arsenal, and it they were, they were tugging each other all over the place, and it just wasn't getting called. So I hope they call it, and I hope they call it consistently. This is basically the only point I have to make on that. Um, and I know it's long been said that if it did get called, then you would have, like, three penalties a game. But, you know, play fair. I, I, I know that there's sort of an instinctual, we've always gotten away with it, so we'll keep doing it, but, you know. I'm all in favor of cutting down on that and just you know play the ball you can jostle a bit but play the ball I'm I'm fine with that um but yeah I could I can see why most people said that was a bit soft and um, you can I, I agree with the sense that it was a bit of a a makeup call after Hughes would have gotten in his ear uh, Mike Dean I believe it was at halftime and said a few words and probably was at least made aware that yeah you missed one so oh,
1: is talking about Hughes after the game had a point and was like hey look man um you know obviously we gave up one and and we were given one back. he's like but my issue with this is that you know you get one guy who sort of goes on and I'm paraphrasing here he goes on a crusade for the first three or four weeks of the season. And then it's never called again. And, you know, it always ends up, you know, by hook or by crook, we just end up being the team that ends up in a lot of these games, you know? Right. Where it's like, well, uh, it, it's stoked. This is a good game to try it out against, you know? It'll be a tough right. game or right, whatever right, the right. case may be.
0: Um, and that goes to my point about consistency. I yeah. hope they keep calling it. I hope they do. And I hope that they, you know pay attention to fouls on set pieces as much as they would pay attention to fouls anywhere else um you know, that's it, all I, all i ask is consistency i think that's all we, any of us ask
1: yeah i i had no issue with any of the calls that were made today really um
0: i don't feel that city were i mean you can i knew reslins was a makeup so yeah it, in a, with with that in mind i'm not going to sit here and say that city got jobbed on the second penalty i, I just i can't do it
1: yeah Okay. I knew Raheem's was a makeup. I mean, I David Mooney just tweeted that even Shawcross thought Sterling's penalty wasn't a penalty and his was. Like, yeah, did you see
0: what, the, the look on uh, Hughes's face when they showed him in the dugout after uh, after the Stoke penalty? It was just sort of, well, all right. <laughs> um, it's like, well, that's what they're going to give us? All, all right, yeah. It was just sort of this sort of amu- bemused, all right, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm roughly in agreement with all that. Um, but pe- if City become penalty merchants real quick? No, <laughs> that is, uh, well, four in three games. It's, I would just like a word after all the consternation, before I, I will answer your question, but a word after all the consternation about Aguero at midweek, that was a perfect penalty. There's no chance, even if he dives the right way, there's no saving that. So, I guess, short memories so on um you have to wonder if um you know english referees are going to be you know because there's going to be so much movement from just the way that city attack um and it will be a problem for defenders um so you you have to wonder if if they're going to get more penalties than the norm as opposed to the slow build-up play with Pellegrini that was often slow and deliberate if they're going a bit faster and a bit more direct I suppose is one word for it if they're going to get a few more of those fouls in the box that they can say you know should should be uh spot kicks so you know I don't think you know I'm not gonna say I don't think they're and I don't think your question was implying it, but I don't think they're looking for them. But I think just the way they're attacking might lend itself to a few more mistakes f- for defenses.
1: Yeah, yeah, yep. I I, I I don't think City are, you know, in any way, shape or form looking for them. But I do think that Guardiola has them playing much smarter. And knows like, hey guys, at this point, all he's going to have left to do is foul you. Just be prepared to hit the deck in the right way.
0: Right. Like, and I don't think anyone else thinks that City's looking for it either. Because see-
1: Sterling knew that that yeah. leg was going to come, and mm-hmm. so he just kind of naturally went with it and let the leg drag him to the ground naturally. And, and there, that- there's
0: there's been they've gotten four penalties, and there hasn't really Except been. for any- Yeah, Yeah. There, there, there hasn't really been any dispute that they are deserved. That I don't think any of this penalties that City have won have been soft penalties by any sense. So it's just you know, people are fouling, people are desperate, they don't really know how to deal with it yet. You know, it's just I think it might be something that happens, and it reminds me a bit of the whole penalty to Liverpool meme back in 2014 when, when um. Rodgers had them playing that fast counter-attacking style and they just kept getting a ton of penalties. So, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a repeat of that. But I don't think that it's like specifically part of the game plan. All right, lads, look to let's try to win some penalties. Um, so, yeah, that's where I would sit on it.
1: I think it's part of the game plan. I just don't think it's part of the game plan in the sense of like. You know, exactly what you're saying. Right. Um, you know, just it's 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 in there. Like if you get the penalty, fair play to you. But, you know, you know whatever, you know, don't go out there and, and, and simulate or anything like that. I think there is a fine line to look for penalties, but not actually be looking for penalties in an active sense.
0: Yeah. Um, my last thought basically on Stoke is that um, they, they played well. I think there's still some work to do in the fluidity of the attack. This was, I think, the best opponent they have faced so far in the toughest game that they have faced so far because um, Sunderland at home, they they were in control most of it and they really only had that one lapse and um, Stoa away, they just completely they rolled them over. This was a bit more of a fight and I think that will be good for them in the long term and i think it's very a very good sign that on a day that you know i don't th- i think it's fair to say that city did not play the best that they will play or can play and the scoreline went down looking like a thrashing so i think that that's nothing but a good sign going forward
1: it would appear that match of the day is destroying raheem sterling despite the fact that uh he had yet
0: another assist. He was good today. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't know what. I. <laughs> if, I have nothing to say to that. It's just not worth. You know, there's, there's a bizarre sort of. You know, I thought he played well. I thought he, he is his assist. I thought he looked lively again.
1: I want <clears throat> to talk about this let's can, can we talk about this and then we'll move on sure. because it seems to be an issue and and it was being talked about during the game i need to know why this in the year of our lord 2016 raheem sterling is still being booed away by teams who like why are Stoke booing him
0: i have no idea it's stupidity like it's
1: like <sighs> England love to destroy their own players. Yeah, they
0: love to eat their own until, you know, until one of one of the uh, until, you know, someone other than the media tries to destroy them, like the uh, accusations, like how Joe Hart has suddenly become a sympathetic figure after being slated all summer because of his performance at the Euros. Um, You know, it's basically the media uh, sort of have this sense of. We're going to eat our own, but, you know, if anyone else dares lay a finger on them, then um, what we're going to come frothing at the mouth. So the Sterling thing was sort of... It was at least perpetuated by the media, which, by the way, consists of a lot of ex-Liverpool players. Just full disclosure. Has to be said. And in addition to that, and then you have Joe Hart, who, if, if we can be honest... A respected but still foreign coach comes in And basically puts him out to pasture And suddenly Joe Hart is the sympathetic figure again So, you know, I think the media likes to build people up And take people down on their own terms And Sterling, they're not going to bring Sterling back up Because why should they? It's there's They have a narrative going And, you know, I think, you know, event he's, he's obviously playing well There's nothing that anyone can say to dispute that
1: Does he just have to embrace it and go full heel?
0: I I wouldn't say he has to, you know, I wouldn't go as far as to say embrace it, but, you know, just play well. And that's what he's been doing. And, you know, at that point, it becomes basically a case of sour grapes on everyone's part, I would say. Fair
1: enough. I was just wondering.
0: Yeah, no, it's a fair question. Um, but um, anything that you wanted to add? I'm going to talk about Caballero's performance, but it kind of ties into our next point, so I'm not going to go there yet. So, with that aside, is there anything that you wanted to add about the Stoke game before we moved on?
1: No, no, just that I think the booing <clears throat> by it's absurd. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 I've never seen anything like it. There's no equivalency here in America like this is the thing that any brit listening to this podcast needs to emphasize we are more about sports in america than it's our basic culture here um in many ways sports are more revered than than the law <clears throat> um Outside of maybe somebody like Alex Rodriguez,
0: I can't think of a player yeah. who's been booed. And I would go as far as to say that, um, Alex Rodriguez, in the case of A-Rod, um... Oh, yeah, you're looking, okay. oh, well, Yeah, no, and I just want to make the comparison to even further drive home how absurd this all is. Um... Rodriguez admitted to using performance-enhancing substances more than once and was suspended. And I'm not going to—there's a whole other discussion to be had about whether he was made made the subject of a witch witch hunt or not. But, you know, Rodriguez is a player who, you know, he he admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs, for one thing, and— a bit of a Ronaldo-esque prima donna character who, you know, has a picture, has a painting of himself as a centaur in his house, which for better or worse, you know, people that turns people off, um, made a ton of money, you know. He So, you know, I'm not going to go into whether it was justified or not justified the treatment that Alex Rodriguez gets or got from opposing fans, but there there was sort of a lack of precedent. Like there weren't like a ton of A-Rods running around. There was, he was regarded by a number of people as a, for lack of a better term, a preening cheater. Oh yeah. And he was
1: eight in game too. Like there, I mean, the most notable thing uh, was in the ALCS when he tried to slap the ball out of, uh, uh, I can't even remember who, who was pitching. I think it was uh, Bronson Royal. Yeah, that's right. And
0: not only, you know, there was a while ago where he was rounding third and there was a pop-up and the guy was going to catch the pop-up and he just turned and yelled, I got it, distracted the guy and the pop-up dropped, which is unsporting to some people. So that's sort of what we're dealing with with Rodriguez. With Sterling, we have a guy who tried to agitate for a move to a bigger club, which is something that a ton of guys have done. And he somehow gets to be the villain for it. There's no there's no preening sterling's not that type he doesn't he hasn't done any of that he hasn't done any of the you know the cheating or what have you he hasn't done any of that he just he dared to leave liverpool for manchester city that's it and that is why it's so absurd That
1: same liverpool that just lost the whole city today burnley. with excuse me yeah burnley mighty uh,
0: mighty burnley um whom I really hope stay up I Who
1: think. actually had 19% possession in that game.
0: Yeah. Um, and uh, Philippe, Philippe Coutinho just sort of taking pot shots from 30 yards over and over And, had a,
1: and um, had a homophobic bigot actually score on them. Uh, just made everybody look foolish. Um, but, uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's... It's monumentally stupid. A-Rod had to do, by the time A-Rod got booed, he had to have pissed off, I don't know how many. Everyone? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and this is a guy who actually had pissed off everyone, like, would go to their club and do something stupid in their, you know, like, every team has their own A-Rod stories of, like, stupid crap that he would do when he was there, and that he'd try and get away with, and, you know, <clears throat> yeah, there there really is no comparison to Alex Rodriguez, and, and I don't really give a dang <clears throat> if there are you know a rod fans on the podcast like the dude cheated
0: i'm not yeah i'm not even trying to
1: baseball's full of cheats at this point that's i think that it should almost be measured differently to be honest i think we're keeping people out of the baseball hall of fame for cheating during an era of cheating it's like well so you're just going to exclude that entire era
0: yeah i mean without you know going into all that my point is not that a rod deserves the treatment That he has gotten. It's not that he, you know, I'm not trying to make an editorial stand on that either way. I'm just simply saying he gets booed a lot and this is why people do it. And there they are much, you know, I think they are objectively graver offenses, even if you're not as put off by them. I think they're objectively worse than anything that Raheem Sterling has ever done.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, everything that A Rod does has been with the intention of putting himself ahead of the best interest of his teammates, etc. Raheem Sterling didn't really do that. Um, Raheem Sterling did put himself first, it only in the sense of a better offer came his way. Manchester City, where a club with a lot more money than Liverpool will continue to have a lot more money than Liverpool.
0: We've used the uh, analogy that basically he got a better, he got, he got an offer for to, to to get a better job that compensates him better, and he took it like anyone else would. Yep, that's basically yeah, at, at a
1: larger, growing company instead yep. of one whose model has a little outdated and stuck in the past. Yep, yep. Um. Yeah, it's 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 grossly pathetic, and uh, hopefully, I don't I would almost hate to see Man City get involved, but I wouldn't mind seeing City fans getting so drummed up by it that that you know the FA says all right, you know we'll we'll fine you guys if you start booing Sterling like this. <clears throat> At a certain point, this is kind of player harassment.
0: I'm not sure what they can do about it, but it's you know it's stupid. I think we can agree on that. Point.
1: They can eliminate. They can eliminate stupid chance pretty quickly, and they do yeah. all the time. Like
0: I-, I suppose, I suppose people are within their right to. It's not really. I don't know if I would go as far as to call it abuse. I would just call it really petty stupidity that is just pointless. No,
1: because at this point, like people lob stuff at him, and, and
0: well, if that happens, yeah, it's um, but it happens all the time. Like you of course, go, but I think discussing. I'm discussing the booing. Anything more than that should be dealt with.
1: Oh no, yeah, no, I get that. I'm saying that all of this stuff is related, you know? Like yeah. it's it's all tied in together. Stoke fans make it acceptable for the next fans to do it. Who make it right. acceptable for the next fans to do it. And then everybody sort of gets this entitled thinking about them and what they can do to tear down a player and I do think it's abuse to a certain extent. Not not the way we would traditionally think about it, but the only thing Raheem's done is actually get a better job. That's yeah. it. That's I, I yeah. mean the the booing at best just kind of feels tenuous.
0: Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's And we can we can leave it on that because we yeah. have we have to get to Claudio Bravo. Um Barcelona have uh, the sporting director of Barcelona has confirmed that um, he's on his way as soon as Barca get a replacement, which sounds like it's going to be the Ajax keeper. Um, Yeah,
1: I don't understand that one, and I'm Dutch.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, whatever. I'm not, I'm not here to question what Barcelona are doing with their transfer business, but um, I think having watched (laughs) Caballero once again today kick it all over the place and start a chant from the stoke fans of joe hart wouldn't do that this has to (laughs) thank god is my general reaction to it because yeah it was not caballero is not up to standard there's no two ways about it he's just not
1: yeah um 'Cause we've ran long on some other things, I'm pretty much just gonna agree with you. Yeah, I,
0: I don't, don't I don't know what else yeah. there is to say about it, it. We all,
1: we all, all I was, was really poor. gonna say, we've all seen it with our own eyes. Yeah.
0: What he am was I was gonna poor. tell you that you haven't seen. He was poor and he was poor throughout the preseason. He has not he doesn't look he's not up to standard, he's not up to the task. Um I do wanna ask about Hart. Um Uh there I've seen some people and I, it's just general people on Twitter, which is where I get most of the opinions that I read, who you know wonder maybe maybe Joe Hart will stay, maybe Joe Hart will you know, and maybe he'll eventually you know win his position back. I don't see that happening. Still, I think it's I think it's over. I think that there has been too much done and said, whether fairly or not, and more most importantly, uh, two two things really. Hart is going to be a 30-year-old keeper in April. He is at the point in his career where I don't think he's going to want to spend, to afford himself the time of spending a year or two on a bench learning how to replay the position that he would just rather move on. And second, I think even if he were here, it would just be a distraction that I don't think is worth dealing with. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Um, I like the idea of Neverton loan.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a bit different. Yeah.
1: Um, well, no, because as Asan pointed out on uh, his latest podcast with Howard Hawkins, most of cities' loan deal these days seem to be loans with an obligation to buy at the end yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, of course,
0: they keep getting stuck uh, dealing with Especially Italian with aging
1: players, yeah. yeah. Especially with aging players where one would certainly slot in Joe Hart. I'll, of course, Bravo is 33, so I don't know what that says. I'm not,
0: I'm not going to say that Joe Hart is old, but I do think he's <laughs> at, at a stage in his career where he's just not really he's... going to want to spend a year in limbo.
1: But... But here's what you're looking at if you're Joe Hart. You might not be in limbo. I, I think that there's a genuine assertion from Guardiola that he would like Joe Hart to 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 stay and to learn.
0: Well, like, I agree with that.
1: Guardiola wants to work with Hart. And if Hart can do it, then, you know, people act like Hart is uh, this you know, amazingly world-class keeper, but he's been dropped several times. You know, once last year, you know, he was actually dropped for a whole season one year. Um, This is a guy who's used to having the fight for it. And if it's the city part of everything that has him focused, if you will, or uh, driven, then why wouldn't you accept an offer from the best coach in the world to just learn for one year and then try your hand? Claudio Bravo is clearly not a long-term solution. And no. there's so much con, the Lalone the, the, the deal with, uh, Rooley or the buyback deal, whatever the hell you want to call that thing with Rooley, uh, is so convoluted that it is, it, there's no clarity on how that will ever play out. Whether city will want Rooley. It seems more like they're buying him the, now because they can, and they waiting to see how he develops, uh, by leaving him at the club where he's at. Okay. That's fine. um, Maybe Joe Hart can do the same thing. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think if you're Joe Hart, um, especially when you've got people like Buffon in your corner uh, stating... We're
0: I mean, you're, you're not really saying... We're not really being hyperbolic when we're saying that, you know, his England place could... his His spot as England's number one could potentially be under threat if he's just sitting around and doing nothing.
1: Yeah... And, but that's why, you know, you look at a loan move to to Everton. Oh yeah, I would
0: be fine with a a loan move, you know. But
1: Everton will likely want something in there where they can buy him, and I assume City would want a buyback clause in there saying that, all right, in the event that Joe Hart under Ronald Koeman is able to develop a bit more, you know, we reserve the right to, to buy this dude back. You know, his mm-hmm. city guy, and uh, I, I but, do think that, like Aeson said, just I'll be real quick here. I think it'll be a loan with an obligation to buy. That's all I was gonna say.
0: I just don't know that once they let him go, and I think they will let him go either, either on loan or a permanent sale, one way or another, before the the uh the window opens. If he goes, I'm just not sure that there's any way back. That there's any interest in you know. Once you get to that point, maybe, you know, you start to look at moving on with a guy like Ruli or maybe someone else that you don't have to, like, retrain, that's more suited to the system from day one. I just don't know that there's a way back once he walks out the door. I'm See, just... Koomin's Kuman, <coughs> a Guardiola I, I appreciate guys. that Koomin is sort of a, not necessarily like a o- disciple, but they played together, but at the same time, the systems aren't the same. No, they're
1: not, but... Guardiola knows that if he goes to Everton and it works out because Koeman has a, a, a style of play that is close enough to total football that it will demand at least some things out of Joe Hart that at that point Pep could see, look at all of those things and then have a clearer picture and say like, oh yeah, I can or I can't work with this guy. You know, that, that, that's what I'm kind of getting at here. Is no, like,
0: that's that's reasonable, yeah. I think you just use Koeman
1: as a guy to fill out the rest of the portrait for you. And I don't know that if he walks out the door, I don't think Cumin brings him in and, and craps on Guardiola. I just don't think that happens. I, I think that Cumin has way too much respect for Guardiola, looks up to Guardiola, and is you know, is is, admires what he does. And I'm sure on some level hopes to attain some of that success, you know, like there's, (laughs) you talk about, you know, people who were at the front of Cruyff's attack, you know, Kuhnman. I mean, he's, he's everything. And, and, uh, I, I, I think that it's, uh, a warm place, a place where Joe Hart can go and that Everton aren't going to try and fill his head with crap. And in this, you know, mercy side, he, he, Liverpool is just far enough away that Joe Hart will be reminded constantly of how much uh, Raheem is abused. And, and I think it'll be, it'll be enough to keep the city and him going, alive and well
0: I'm not even I'm not even certain Liverpool are actually that interested it seems like a really really long shot it seems like Everton is the the place they they're the ones who keep coming up Sevilla apparently aren't going to go for it so you know I think that's your most likely but I just you know even beyond the playing style I just there's something uh not right about this and I just don't know that there's a way back if he goes out the door. That's basically where I sit stand on it. Um,
1: fair enough
0: but let's let's talk about Bravo since we're actually getting him um, I don't think that we're looking at like one of like the five best goalkeepers in the world or anything like that but at the same time I think he is absolutely the best option for city. At this point in time. Absolutely no question. And he's going to be a huge upgrade with what we've already seen just this season. There's no doubt in my mind.
1: Yeah, you had said that he wasn't world class.
0: Yeah, we've... Twitter, the, the, the famous world class subjective-objective dispute yeah. that we just sort of go Look, into.
1: all I'm going to say with Bravo is that he's got every kind of trophy you can have in, in your bank. And he's also been very active in one of the biggest reasons that chile are back-to-back copa america winners and that's no small feat that that chile did at once but then they went and you know sort of cemented their like nah we, we weren't messing around we actually did it here we'll do it again the exact same way with a different coach um I think that uh, Bravo, by any goalkeeper standard, would have to be considered world-class just based on the fact that he has attained the highest levels you can attain both domestically and internationally. Uh, with the exception of a world cup trophy, like that's all that's really missing from his in and, and those things are really hard to come by, so I don't really know where you put Bravo if you say that he's not world class because he's done it on the international level, and like I said, he's done it for many, many years at Barcelona, so I guess I would ask is not so much to make a case a case for him. But why do you think he's not
0: world-class? Because my definition... <clears throat> excuse me. My definition of world-class is roughly... You have to be one of... I don't know. I don't want to put an exact number on it, but one of the three, four, five best players at your position in the world. And I'm not taking him ahead of Buffon. I'm not taking him ahead of Neuer. I'm not taking him ahead of... i And this is where it gets fuzzy for me, because... I think Bravo is a better fit for what Manchester City play than say De Gea or Courtois, who I'm not sure I would put up there either, but I think that they are better goalkeepers or will be better goalkeepers. Um, I guess it's just a, a situation where it's it's sort of this weird divide where I don't, I think he's very, very good. And I I shouldn't, I think I I should be clear. I think that world-class should be a label reserved for the elites in their position in world football. And I'm not really basing it off accomplishment. He has a resume that's pretty much second to none on, on, in, in the sport. Um, but I, I would just say that, you know, when I look at at, at Buffon and I look at Neuer and I look at guys like that, I just don't put him in the same class. But I think that once you take it, once you start comparing him with the, uh, I don't know, the De Gea's of the world or whoever, uh, I don't know, Czech, um I, I think he's a better fit for City. And I think he will be as good as they're going to get. For that, for that particular role. That's where I stand on Claudio.
1: Here's here's my thing. At an individual level, he's won the Ricardo Zamora Trophy on two different occasions for the best goalkeeper in both the second division and at the elite division of La Liga. Two times, he was also the best goalkeeper at Copa America, um, which... I don't really know if that's an amazing accomplishment, though I would say that Brazil don't usually have their usual stud in net. Um, and Romero has seen yeah. somewhat of a, a dip.
0: Romero lasted, what, about 20 minutes at Man United? Yeah,
1: yeah, basically. Um, you know, he's, he's got the two international titles with Chile and was a fundamental reason why Chile even won those and displaced, uh, uh, Argentina. Um, and here's the thing, like, yeah, they did it in Chile, but then they went to America and did it there. Um, and they did it with 10 men. Like, I mean, they wound up getting it that man back but you know that that game was oh man that was an interesting game uh but my point here is is that the i can recall the odds that they've been up against and i would say out of all the teams that he's played on like barça um is that one team and and even then uh he's got that champions league title from 1415 um because he did participate even though uh, Ter Stegen Yeah that
0: would that would be my other question if he's so good then why can't he get in ahead of Ter Stegen in Barcelona's biggest Champions League
1: Because games? Barcelona believe that the 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 system of having one cupkeeper... like it's it, it 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 seems to be something that they believe in like, yeah. it's... it's Bravo, a,
0: Bravo does the league games, right?
1: Yeah, he does yeah. the league games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say that uh, Ter Stegen, I've not been convinced by him when I've seen him in there by himself when he's not being protected. Like, Ter Stegen looked pretty, pretty bad against Atletico, I thought. Um... But yeah, I I mean, I, he's still twenty three, so he's still learning. But that's the curiosity with me in these goalkeepers.
0: Yeah, he's he's I, a baby in goalkeeping terms.
1: Yeah, you. It, but yet goalkeepers seem to get t- lumped into that world class category like De Gea and Courtois, without actually having won anything. And I think that we would never say that about like if I just suddenly started saying, okay, Raheem's gonna you know, is a world class player, people would be like, Whoa, 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 whoa
0: Well,
1: why wow. is De Gea?
0: Well he's I don't Good. I don't know if I think De Gea is sort of on this borderline. And and that is that is the problem when oh, you course. know when I cut when you ask me to confront confront this sort of opinion is like, okay, well if he's not world class who is? And I you know, Buffon, easy. Neuer, easy. And then, you know, you sort of tail off and who are the other world? Who are the other great? Not anymore. I don't think. Yeah. So, you know, you may well have a point in that, you know, maybe my standards are too high or maybe, you know, maybe I will be wrong. Maybe he will come in and, you know, because that the, the kicker is, you know, we don't it's it's a different system. And he does have a fantastic resume. I will give that to you, no question about it. And, you know, I don't want any of this to be construed as saying as me saying, well, he's not that good, or you know, he's not, he's really good. He's really good. And they have done fantastically to get him. So I'm really excited about it. And I I don't want that to be construed as me like not rating this as a signing or not being excited about it or what have you. I just to make that clear. But you know, you bring up a good point. If you're thinking about world glass coal keepers, then you know beyond Neuer and uh, Buffon, if you're not lowering your standards, you know, who is?
1: Yeah. I I just think that when you look at it, if we're truly tossing in the things that would make a keeper world-class, such as international and domestic play, um, then Bravo certainly has all of those accolades underneath his belt. And, uh, you know, it's it's... It's okay to give the man his due. It's it's okay. Oh, yeah. Right.
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, let's let's wrap this up with a look ahead. Um to uh the midweek game, the Wednesday game against uh Bucharest. City will carry a five-nil advantage with five away goals into it. So I think we're roughly in agreement that it's just sort of going to be a formality as far as getting into the group stage of the Champions League. Which leads to some interesting questions, namely, um, what, well, who's going to play, and is he, is Pep going to use it as an opportunity to maybe tinker a little bit, throw in some guys we haven't seen yet, maybe a start for Delf, maybe you know another start for Navas or something like that. Are we going to see major changes, or do we think he's going to stick with the same core of the team and just sort of? um you know keep keep the line moving so to speak um if you listen to
1: guardiola she seems to be pretty concerned about the team getting into a rhythm so my answer to that would be how important are we categorizing that because this is the type of game that you work out all your kinks, you know, like if, even if it is style Bucharest and you could run it up 20, nothing, why are you, you didn't have a preseason. Why wouldn't you take the competition, trot your guys out there, maybe make one or two subs. Maybe you bring players off a little bit early um, and give some other guys some chances. Uh, a few more minutes But you're trying to get a system going And I'm not sure how that's done Any service by breaking it up For a day
0: I'm in agreement with you I don't think we'll see You know, you don't want to wear guys out And that's a fair thing to consider But at the same time, as you said Their preseason was eh, Not what they would have wanted it to be I think we can agree And you're you know especially since after this you get one game at the weekend against west ham and then you have an international break and pep doesn't like international breaks so
1: no because I, only bad news happens yeah
0: on international it, breaks. it breaks up that rhythm then people have to go and accustom themselves to a different style of play and then have to come back and reacclimate themselves. So he doesn't like them and i don't i agree with him although i understand you know whatever but you know I don't think we'll see wholesale changes. I think we might see, I don't know, one or two or maybe three at most. I wouldn't be surprised if he would like to get Delphi game. Um, and I don't, you know, I guess Sane is still not quite fit. Um, we know Gundawan isn't and we know Company isn't. Um, but that's, you know. I could see Navas versus Nalito being a decision again. I could see maybe him wanting to throw Delph in there for either Silva or maybe De Bruyne, although I think De Bruyne needs the time on the pitch with Silva to sort of come to an understanding. Um, And, you know, he's tinkered with the fullbacks a couple times. But I don't think we'll see those major wholesale changes. I think he'll treat this seriously. I think he'll want them to get more experience, and I do think he will want to leave nothing to chance. Um, so I'm roughly in agreement with you on that.
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, there, there's certainly a lot of temptations available. Um, and Guardiola is going to know and trust this team, uh, more than anyone. So if Guardiola feels like this is a time when he can make changes, uh, and it won't distract the team, then he'll do it. Uh, but you're right, the international break is coming up, and um, well, that might not actually matter for Argentina. Uh, I don't know. Did did uh, Aguero put put in his uh, paperwork with Messi? I know Messi I returned, but if I don't know. If those other know. players put theirs in, or if I that never, was just a rumor,
0: I never heard that he did. Okay. So I would assume he's still available. For at a
1: certain league. point, Higuain's probably ahead of him on the pecking order at this point, anyway. That Argentinian striking debate is so yeah. fluid.
0: Aguero was coming off the bench during Copa America, so it's—I mean, whatever. But um, we should we should answer the the the. the the, the listener question we should answer that we didn't get to, because we talked about KDP and we had two questions that are similar. Um, the, the playing 11 when uh, Gundawan Sane and Company return, Bravo joins, who gets dropped when Gundawan gets healthy? Do we switch to a three, four3? is Silva playing too de- or playing too well to drop? And I think we've sort of addressed this in previous podcasts that I don't know that there will be a specific explicit playing 11. Because I think different games will call for different um, setups. I wouldn't be surprised in certain games to see the Gundogan Fernandinho double pivot, and uh, someone like you know Silva maybe gets the gets the chop or you know Nolito someone. We, you've you've said that you wouldn't be surprised if Silva gets chopped at times. I wouldn't either. Um, I'm not sure there's going to be a huge switch. I don't know about the 3-4-3. Three, three. I know they tried it, but they never really seemed to commit to it during preseason. So, you know, I think Company steps in for Altamendi when he's fit. Bravo obviously will become the first choice keeper the minute he sets foot at the CFA. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I think there will be a bit of fluidity in the team selection. I'm not sure there will be. I think there might be a rotation of players that just sort of sliding in and out based on the game.
1: Yeah, I don't think that, that like there there is going to be a defined uh, role like you like you've said and like Pep has talked about in nearly every single book slash interview uh, article on him. Uh, look, this is a guy who he does things by feeling like he's, he's very Latin, you know, um, his feelings are often right. Uh, but, but, and, and he got there through hours and hours and hours of research, but if he has a notion or a feeling about something, he's going to play it out until he can answer the question for himself about whether or not it works. So I, I mean, I wouldn't at all be surprised when Ilke comes back to see Silva dropped and Nolito and come off as the left-wing sub. So you'd have Sterling and Sané with a trio of Stones, uh, Company, and Otamendi. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Gundogan would take Silva's place, and Silva would spell him out or come in as like that change of pace guy, you know you need a team to you know retain possession or hold on to the ball uh you know you'd probably go with Silva in a game where ball retention's like much more important, but if you need somebody with a little bit more fluidity and who actually tracks back, then godawand's probably your better bet. So I think that uh, it's like you said, I think that there are ideas and there are plans, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Because like everything, Guardiola has to wait for these guys to get back from injury, and by the time they do get back, is it still going to be the same situation? 'Cause if they get back in Sterling's down with a, a massive injury,
0: then that sorta of changes the entire question. Right. And you can never predict what will happen with injuries or form, you know. If we're if we're in December and De Bruyne is still not playing well, then you ask yourself, Well, maybe then we rethink this. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you never you never you never know. And things could change. But I have no doubt in my mind that Guardiola has not given it a lot of thought. There's no doubt in my mind that he already has. The gears in his head are spinning for when he has everyone that he wants to have available to him. Um, But, you know, I think different teams, you know, a pressing Klopp under Liverpool will demand a different team than, you know, a team like Sunderland who's just going to sit back and let City have 80% of the possession.
1: Yeah. Yep. I mean... Pep is a guy who never does the same thing twice. He always, you know, that's why he looks at a team's last six games is because you can't go too far back. Otherwise, you're looking at a product they're not using anymore. That might have been for a time before a key player got injured or whatever. Right. You have to look at the current run of form, and and that, that tells you the most about a team. And so as long as city can stay healthy this year which the big thing that i am encouraged by is is that aguero once he's done enough it's just, sometimes it's just time for him to come off like anacho needs to start getting more minutes and aguero probably needs to st- i don't want to say get less um but ultimately that that is the result like uh, Aguero if he's been effective doesn't necessarily need to stay out there the whole time. You know, he doesn't need to put in right. 80 minutes. Sometimes 70 will do when you had two goals in the first half, you know. So I I think, you know, Pep if part of managing this team is is keeping your most important players on the field. And Pep will be made well aware of Aguero's injury history and you know we'll have devised a plan for him uh so hopefully that implant that plan does include him being swapped out some minutes in in some meaningless games like this one in style Bucharest and maybe we'd see You know, uh, most of the teams starting, but maybe like you said, you get a Iannaccio up top and and maybe uh, Tosin starts alongside John Stones.
0: Yeah. And like I said, you take you look at the variety of teams. There are going to be teams that are just going to sit back and let City have 80 percent of the ball and try to break them down. That will demand a different team than Arsenal, who will basically try to play this same ball dominant style that City will because finger doesn't know how to do anything else. Um, and then you got pressing teams like Klopp and teams like um, Manchester United under Mourinho, who will probably try to occupy as much of the space as possible. So, you know, it's just going to be form, injuries, and opponents. And, you know, I could see it going any number of ways, depending on, you know, each of those three variables.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's... I- Nothing else to it but to put a bow on it at that yeah. point. I mean I guess the news coming in is that West Ham have asked uh to take uh, Man City Striker Wilfred Bonney out on loan for the season.
0: With an option to buy, have at it, take it. Yeah, on.
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: um but you know, other than that, I think we've covered just about everything. Um, we'll be back after the Bucharest game to talk about whatever we see. What's the
1: more annoying Any last motion? last Go yeah. ahead. What's the more annoying motion? Mike Dean's, like, little, you know, get up after, like, come on, come on, come on, type deal, or, uh, Mark Clattenberg's little... Like no 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 no.
0: Everything about Mark Clattenburg is the most annoying thing. Everything. That's that's what I would go see. I I find the Mike Dean thing funny when it's not you.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Clattenburg's just annoying all the time. That's my that's the way I see it. <laughs> it's probably the hair. It probably is the hair. It probably is the hair. It's not explicit, but it's
1: douche hair it's it's <laughs> it's subtle douche hair also isn't he of, like 40 why is he rocking a faux hawk like
0: the, the name of this episode is now mark klattenberg's douche hair
1: <laughs> i'm okay
0: with that <laughs> so, yeah. um totally well, okay with that that's that's yeah Th- that's a really good note to end on i have nothing else to top that yeah that that feels worthy for that's me the perfect endpoint for us. Yep, here. wrap it up. Um, we'll be back after the Bucharest game. Um, we'll talk about that and look ahead to uh, West Ham on Sunday, I think. Um, so we'll be back um, midweek, um, and if anything weird happens before, then I'm sure you'll hear from us. But um, until then, subscribe to us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio. Follow us on Twitter at America Citizens. Um, you can interact with us there. We have lots of hot takes for you when we're not podcasting. Um, and, um, till next week, well, this week, I suppose, uh, I'm gray. This is, that was Josh. And this has been American citizens. We'll talk to you next week.